Welcome to episode 15 of the Tell Us Your Tale podcast. Today I'm joined by Femi Fire Feyentola. For those of you that don't know, Femi has got a hell of a story um, from basically from streets of Bradford to Las Vegas, Miami. His boxing career took him all over the world. So Fem, how's it going? Good, very good. Good. So we're going to start beginning... Obviously, we've had a bit of a conversation before we've hit record on this, and you've already lived a million lives, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so let's go back to the beginning, right back to the start, who you are, where you grew up, how it all started for you. Well, um, my name's, my African name, what many people don't know about, is Olu Femi, Fiantola, everyone knows me as Femi. Um, I was born just up here in Far Edge. Um, and I moved to Leeds Road when I was about six years old um, and had it rough as a kid really been on a black grid in an Asian area so I had to f- learn how to fight and um, but a kid who I knew who, I, who lived in that same area as me went to a boxing gym and I just wondered why I used to always go down the road and come back happy and smiling so I used to join it with him and then so I joined gym with him I used to go I was only allowed there to go once a week because I was only eight so they said you can come and watch you can train once a week and watch for the other two days until you're nine so I used to go and sit there and just watch them all and end up joining in and it took off from there Sick. So your upbringing, you said you lived up. Were you live it? Did you live with your mum and dad? Were they together as you were yeah. younger? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And obviously, you just touched on there that you African name. Are your mum and dad African? No, my mum's white and my dad's Nigerian. Right. He's dead now, but he was Nigerian. Yeah. Right, right. Sound so. Which boxing gym were it? Carmen DBC. Carmen DBC on Barking Road. Took me. Where I boxed all over the world with them in. Um, I watched the Seychelles, Hungary, lot represented England, won four national titles, um, got to two senior ABA finals, um, boxed all over, all just uh, constantly boxing and training and living life. That's a belting way to start this off. So let's go through it slowly. Let's go through your career. So eight year old, you turn up on Steps of Calm and yeah. you start training. Were it an instant love for the game? Yeah, straight. I remember the first day I walked in, I just loved it. That's why I used to go and sit and watch other lads, Bobby Vanzi and Robert Nelson, it was, he were called, who introduced me to boxing. And, I was, and he was just like me hero, and Bobby Vanzi was my hero. And used to just go sit in gym and just watch him and study him and go home and watch box. The moment I walked into a boxing gym, I fell in love with it. That's beautiful. Yeah, class really, isn't it? You know yeah. what I mean. And obviously, we'll get on to what you ended up achieving. But to for your dream to come true, basically, yeah. it doesn't happen for many people. Does no, it? it's, an, it's an hard sport. Is boxing? I mean, I wouldn't advise anybody to get into it. I don't I like who we talking about earlier, but I don't encourage my son to do it. But if he does it, I'll support him hundred um, percent. But you got to remember, people die inside there, so. Um, 
and I've got a brain injury from boxing, what made me retire and, and end up, but will that in jail? Um, but it keeps kids off at streets and it does more good than it does bad. So I'd encourage young kids to, to box really, just to take it seriously though when they do start. How much trouble do you think boxing kept you out? I mean, I know you've not gone without your a scrapes on way, but... Yeah, a lot, a whole lot. I'd been dead or in jail without a doubt if it weren't for boxing, without a doubt. I mean, I had a brother get hooked on heroin. My dad were hooked on heroin. You've seen the f film about him. And um, my uncle my uncle eats him now till this day, still having his demons and battling his demons. Um but yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough game, man. Very tough. They say, like, you're in, obviously your environment sort of yeah. who it produces. And yeah. obviously, if you were surrounded by that without boxing, a high percentage chance that we, you'd yeah, have mapped I mean, out the, which way you'd have gone. Everybody would have mapped out. when If you'd have looked to me as a kid, I was an angry kid. And you would have thought that I was going to go down that road. But it always, my mum, for credit to my mum really for always educating me properly and telling you know showing me showing me what life's about if you like and if it went down to where I won't I won't I've said it before and I'll, you'll probably hear me say it a few times I'd be dead or in jail if it weren't for my mum what were you like as a kid like school and stuff like that were you I, I, I wasn't interested I got uh, up until being nine years old I remember being good but then I remember being at St George's Middle School, slam, getting down back street, nicking some cigs off my mum, selling them at school, and then running off down, um, back, running off out of back corridor at dinner time to get to the gym early so I could sit and watch out lads because I wasn't allowed to train because um, I was still eight or nine. So I used to just sit there and watch out lads all day, what training, and then eventually they worked out at school that. Um, worked out at school that it, it, I, I wasn't a bad kid, I just wasn't interested, I just wanted to box. Yeah, I suppose credit to you because it, it fucking worked out for you and ended it. Yeah. So at nine year old you started training properly, what, what we, how did your amateur career go like? Good, I, my first, to be honest with you, I always struggled with nerves growing up, I was a nervous kid, I don't know if it was to do with what's gone on with my dad or whatever. But I was a really nervous kid, and um, I was really shy as well. Little mummy's boy. Every everything I had to do, I had to have my mum with me, um, or my mum supporting me. Um, but I was an angry kid once I started to realise what life was about and realise what my dad was doing. I was an angry kid. Um, so once my dad did a documentary what came on TV, I think you've seen it, you mentioned it earlier. Once that came out on TV, I refused to go to school then after that. I just refused. Used uh, that as an excuse, kind of like. How did it come about, the documentary? I mean, it, it's up to you well, if you want to tell yeah, people. Yeah, of course I will, yeah. It's called Charlie Says Dark Guy in Your Own Supply by Landry Fainthaler. Um And what happened is, my dad always used to say to me growing up as a kid, I've got a surprise for you, I've got a surprise for you. Bullshit, really, just making false promises. And really, and I thought, He's got a surprise for me, what is it? So then he said, oh, we're going to do some filming about you. And I thought this was my big surprise until I got, to, I came home from school one day and my mum said, your dad's documentaries on TV, me thinking it was about me boxing, 
got my mates to sit there and watch it and it was my dad injecting heroin and the rest of the house on it. Jesus. And it and it um kind of kind of broke me but it made me as well because I knew that I didn't want to go down that road. Yeah. Fuck me. Yeah. I didn't I didn't realise that that for those listening <clears throat> I knew about this documentary years ago when I actually trained for Femi. Um but I never dare bring it up to him, so this is the first time I've properly addressed it to him. So I'm learning as much as you are. So your boxing career, as we said, nine-year-old, they've, they've now obviously said, right, you're going to turn up here every day yeah. anyway, so you might as well join in. Yeah, they did, yeah. How quick did it go? What were your first amateur about? My first fight lasted 28 seconds. <laughs> Um, I just ran out. I remember being nervous because I built up, trained. I, I had, I was in gym since I was eight. Started training properly when I was nine. I had my first fight. I didn't have my first fight till I was eleven. So I'd been training for a few years before I had my first fight, and I remember being nervous, really nervous. But there were no stopping me that day. I'd been, I'd been in gym as a kid. It was my dream. And it was up Brown Ride Work, Brown Ride Working Men's Club, now called Ukrainian Club. Um, up in uh, up Allerton sides, Fountain Roadways, and um, I remember Alec Allen, God bless him, it was on his shows, Bradford Police Boys, and I was really nervous before I was going in, really scared. Um, my dad promised me he was going to buy me boxing boots, which he let me down, obviously, because what life he was in. My mum went running around all her mates, borrowed some money, got me boxing boots, and off I went. Lasted 28 seconds, ran out there, stopped him, stopped the kid. James Osborne, he was called, from um, from uh, Barnsley or somewhere he was. And I went, lasted 28 seconds, I just beat him up. And I went, I lost my fourth fight, though, through nerves. Um, but it was the biggest learning curve. It was in Victoria Hotel in Bradford. And this kid, Got, got in, called him around the scene, probably still about now. It's probably his claim to fame that he beat me. Yeah. And they were all just holding me and roughing me up. I remember saying, I can't do this. And spinning around and turning away. And my trainer going mad and saying, carry on, carry on. But referee stopped it and won't let us go on. But I got the kid again in the rematch in my fifth fight. In Ormud, Ormud Workham, Social <laughs> Men's Club. Ormud Social, Social Club it was called somewhere. And I beat him up easy. And that was just because I'd got over that first loss and I was just on my stride then. I won my first national title at probably 14. Boxed for England all over the world. 16 times I boxed for England. How quick did it go then from... Obviously, you, you had three years pretty much training behind you when you took your first amateur fight. But once you got on that role, how quickly did it elevate to... Winning titles, the titles and well, I got to like I said earlier. I, sh- I struggle with nerves even now to this day. I struggle with nerves, and um, I used to get to the final first. My first real success, I'd get to the final of all England championships. That means like whole of England. No, it was Great Britain then. So England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. Um, I got to the national finals twice and got beat through nerves, not performing. Got to the final and got scared. But then I got to 14, and that when I won my first title. What um, was that? That were NABCs in Nottingham. Right. I won three of them titles. 
and then a junior ABA title, and then I got to All England National Finals senior. But I boxed a lot that many fights in amateurs. I think I had 88, lost about 12. Really? Yeah, I had a lot of fights, man. A lot of fights. Was it different back then? Because obviously it's very um, regulated now, isn't it? Back then, would they just let you box every week, week in, week week out? I remember one season I had 12 fights, and um, I think I won 11 of them. Boxed for England. I mean, the reason why I turned pro is because I was boxing in tournaments in England, winning them, and... um, they were sending other lads, them days of favouritisms, London kids, and they were sending lads to um, World Championships and Commonwealth Games and who had beat. Yeah. So, um, the end up, I said, I've had enough of this, I'm turning pro. So I'd end up just turning pro at age 22 um, because I got robbed in a fight. I can't remember which fight. Oh, but for England, in Ireland, it was televised on Eurosport. And I lost on count back, which is when you're tied, they give the winner, a, they just pick a winner out of a nut, really. Right. And they give the Irish lad it. So I said, you know what, I've had enough of this, I'm turning pro. And the, so I turned pro. And um, I beat a world chat. The lad who I, bought, who I beat in amateurs in, world, uh, in Hungary, he went on to win world championships, got a silver medal or something like that. And then another lad who I lost in the ABA finals, he won Commonwealth Games. Um, it was always favouritism, though. They used to always pick the London lads them days. Yeah. It's a bit more... Um, it's not as bad now. They don't rob you as much now, so... It's better for our amateurs and that, do you know what I mean? So, from a young age, from a really young age, you've instantly really gone in at quite an high yeah. level, haven't you? Yeah, boxing was my life. Still is kind of like my life. Yeah. It's just... It takes a back seat now after my kids. Yeah. Yeah. So, when you turned professional, were it an easy decision, obviously, getting no, robbed was, and stuff? It was an hard decision because I was leaving, I, I knew to turn pro, I was going to be, I didn't have to, but I thought in my eyes I needed the best coach in the world, I need the best promoter in the world, I need the best manager. So I took 12 months, no, about six months I took on the decision on turning pro. But I ended up going to Sheffield. Matt Trum wanted me, which is Eddie Earns. Uh, Frank Warren wanted me, which is Bart's Network. And Prince Promotions wanted me, which is, do you remember Prince Nazim Ahmed, the boxer? They wanted me. And Dennis Hobson wanted me as well. And because Dennis Hobson showed me a little bit of money and showed a lot more interest to me than others did, I signed with him. But really, I should have gone where the money was, really. But... I made it, I did what I did and I signed with Dennis, I don't regret it really. No. So who who and where were your first professional? My first professional fighter in Reading and it were on the Danny Williams Michael Sprott undercard where David A fought Lolemdo Mock and got dropped. It were over in Reading, so um, I boxed John Paul Ryan. He were tough as nails, came over first first um round and it came me and Ed but let me know and said well whispered in me a welcome to pros. And I thought, what's going on here? Because you know, amateur boxing is totally different to professional boxing. There's a lot more. You can bend rules a lot more in professionals. Yeah. More point based. Yeah, it, more point based amateurs. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was me. Welcome to pro. Give me an head button. Cut me iron. That was it. But I, I fought again five weeks after that in T 
TV show in um, a lot of my fights with TV show on TV were either on Sky, ITV, BBC, or Satanta Sports. If anyone can remember Satanta Sports on Sky, um, most of my fights on big bills like David Day undercard, Ricky on Ricky Hans undercard, Clinton Woods who was a world champion at light heavyweight, his undercard. But I moved to Sheffield after a few months of turning pro because I was getting to myself. I started smoking weed and selling weed. And No, sorry, before I turned pro, I was selling weed. So because I was up to no good, my uncle Terry Jeng, who was my godfather, he got me a sponsor. Um, right. And my sponsor started giving me money. after Because I was on, in amateurs, I was on national lottery funding as well. They used to pay me. But when I turned pro then everything stopped from amateurs so I needed a sponsor to turn pro so my uncle Terry got me um, got me a sponsor from Leeds who used to look after me a real lot give me £150 a week give me a car pay for my insurance and then Hilton Hotel used to give me free rooms and free stay in Sheffield Monday to Friday so that's good isn't it yeah did, did that sort of go to your head a bit like, I Went fucking read it here. I'm Went, a professional yeah. boxer now. I used to tell dogs. everybody <laughs> I'm a boxer and definitely it went to my head. I mean, if I could go back, I'd go to work and I'd box while I were having a full-time job. Yeah. If I could go, because it keeps you grounded. You know, working keeps you grounded. Mm. Like Josh Warrington, he's worked all his life. Look at him, world champion, because he's got his feet grounded. It humbles you. Yeah. Where I just had boxing, I put my eggs all in that one basket, do you know what I mean? So that's all I had, really. What was the dream? To be a world champion. To be How world close champion. do you think you got? Well, I remember fighting, uh, I remember supposed to be fighting Steve Foster Jr., if anybody knows him. The boxing diehard fans will know him. Well, I was supposed to fight him. And he pulled out on me a week before, but if I'd have won that fight, I had a fight promise with Ricky Burns, who was a world champion at uh, lightweight. I had a fight planned to box him, but obviously I got, Spanner got chucked in works and I got in a boxing, f I took a fight on short notice in Jersey, got caught, got beat, so that fight went out the window. But saying that, it was a good thing because if I'd have earned that money them days, hundreds of grands I would have been worse would it have been straight up to big money as yeah. well when you went and done fights when, if I'd have fought Nicky Cook or Ricky Burns for that world title it'd have been big money straight away and it'd have stayed big money yeah so I'd have just been I'd have been I'd probably been a cockhead or something yeah well you, like you say you, you don't know how it's going to go but history tells a story yeah, that it does, yeah. boxing can end up not right pretty for a yeah, lot of people, you know what I mean? Definitely. So you, you started off, you got your sponsors. How did your career sort of go in terms of elevating? Because obviously we spoke, you fought in Las Vegas yeah. on Ricky Atten's undercard. Yeah. I mean, to me, if you're travelling world, you're getting paid to do it and you're doing something you love, then you've made it. Even though you might not be earning millions, but sort yeah. of what I mean, with that? People don't understand, but a boxer don't make bucket loads of money. Journeymen make more money than prospects because a journeyman fights every other week. You know, Jake Pollard, he fights every other week. Um, so, and it's a business to them. The, but the moment they start winning, they get less work. So, when I, 
when I turned pro, I just, I knew I had to change everything about what I was doing. I was selling weed. I wasn't dedicated as much in dedicated in as much to amateurs no more. I was sick of it. I was selling weed. I was smoking weed. So I knew I had to change a lot of things. That's why I picked, decided to move to Sheffield and stay there Monday to Friday and just come home on the weekend. Um, but my career took off well, really fast. But because because I'd won so many titles in amateurs and represented England, everybody knew me. So everybody wanted to sign me. That's why I had the choice of promoters. And what made me sign with Dennis is because when I went to his gym, he had to do a Clinton Woods, who was my former best mate, training on Baggles, who won a world title. He was on Bagging Corner. And I wanted to be trained by Tim Witherspoon, who were training Clinton at the time. Tim Witherspoon fought Frank Bruno, if you remember him. Yeah. Not Tim out at Wembley. Um, and he was at that gym and he took a big interest in me. So I thought, right, it's not about the money so much. It's just about the loyalty and the getting the, picking the right team. So I picked Dennis Hobson to manage me. And we fought on a lot of different promoter shows, like Frank Warren shows. And um, we fought on... Frank Warren shows, Barry Earns shows, uh, we fought on all the shows, but um, the biggest money fight when I boxed for British title, but people don't understand, before that I was on shit money, I was on four, four and five grands a fight, and you work it out, if you're only fighting four or five times a year for five grand, it's like it's not even a, a, a good wage, it's yeah. just it's pocket change really, do you know what I mean, it's the sponsorships where you make your money. Did you get a chance to live the life? I know you didn't go on to, to the world championship fight, but, you know, travelling world yeah, and did, yeah. getting paid. Did you, did you have a chance to experience yeah. it a little bit? I remember being in Las Vegas in my fifth fight, I think it was in Las Vegas, and jogging up the strip. And I remember looking around and thinking, wow, I've made it, man. Yeah. This place is unreal. And a boxer, a little Mexican, who really tough, came out straight away, headbutted me and cut me. But and do um and I'd look to me con lock at corner of that ring, there'd be Clint there'd be John Travolta sat there, there'd be Wayne, Wayne Rooney were there, David Beckham were there. There were some superstars, real big superstars there, do you know what I mean? They were so, one of the biggest draws in boxing at the time as well, yeah, Ricky well, Atamonte yeah, were following, well, so he was, yeah. Um, and I boxed on his undercard but the arena were full when I boxed. You know, when you box on an undercard, the arena's normally empty, but the arena were full. They rushed me out and I boxed just before the main event, so there were like three thirteen thousand Brits there screaming in my name. It was unreal, man. Do you know they were, I was listening to some other week and they were on about that and they were saying that that you know UFC. Do you watch yeah, it? Yeah. They were saying that's one big difference with UFC. The stadium's completely full from first yeah. first fight at card every every week in week out. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's strange, really. I mean, I know you have your your casual fans were boxing but if usually people who are paying that amount of money to go watch boxing are fairly diehard fans and I've always wondered why they don't yeah. go watch the entire I mean whether it's just about going and getting pissed and yeah. watching a slugfest at end but it doesn't make no sense I think me. a lot of people used to say if you remember UFC is going to take over boxing but Boxing, you've got to remember, is the oldest sport in the world. Yeah. The oldest sport. So no one will ever take it. Somebody might match it, its ratings and stuff, but no one will ever overtake it. No. Maybe football in England, but in a, you go to America, boxing is massive over there. Mm -hmm. It's a lot bigger over there than what it is here. I've just... I've 
been having uh, conversations with he's a three time champion from uh, BKB you know bare knuckle stuff oh, yeah. that seems to be doing really well yeah it does it? very good I got offered well when I turned when I was on, a, I was on when I split up from my baby mum and I ended up going to jail I, but before I went to jail I were on um, my charges and I wasn't allowed in West Yorkshire I cornered Bobby Vanzi in one of them who's a big good BKB fighter and a mm. British Commonwealth and European champion as a boxer um, yeah I cornered him for that and I got banned I got uh, suspended off a British Boxing Board of Control for going in his corner because somebody took a video and photographed and sent it in, sent it into him, you know, grassing me up, um, and they banned me for it. But then I went to jail anyway, so they revoked my license then for 12 months, and I was 34 then. So I thought, you know what, my days are finished now. So I what. Let's go through it numerically. So, yeah. you, how old were you when you boxed in Vegas? Twenty-four, twenty-five. And then, where did your career go from there? I to boxed retirement? in Vegas. I won in Vegas. Then, I boxed for British title after twelve fights. It was unheard of to fight for after twelve fights, but I got offered it. It was decent money, so I took it. And when I think about it, my promoter played were clever really he knew I wasn't going to refuse that money um, because I would have come from the streets I were, I were poor kid you know what I mean got offered 12 grand which is poxy now when I think about it for British title but I nearly snapped his hand off from me because I'd never even seen money like that before so I did the fight fought Kai Ranson got stopped in 6 rounds and my me me stock rose after that fight because I was supposed to get blasted in a couple of rounds, but I was winning the fight uh, after the first few rounds, but then me Ed took over and the street boy came out and me ended up standing there and having a fight with him and getting caught. But um, I won't turn back, it was a good experience and I loved it. It was live on Sky Sports, top up bill, sold out in about two weeks, the show. It was a wicked good fight, good fight. How did you, you did your career naturally, just with age and yeah. years and years in ring come to an end? Yeah, it came to an end, yeah. I, I, I always said I wouldn't finish on a loss, um, and I didn't finish on a loss. I finished a box at uh, Royal Armouries in Bradford. To be honest with you, retirement kind of um, snuck up on me because I never... I never were going to retire. I was in jail. I remember being in jail and doing press-ups and sit-ups in my pad every day, 500 of each every day, like a maniac. Whacked to screw up, knocked to screw out in there. I was like a hot... I, I got six months in jail and I had to do six months because I was just... I was wild in there. They made me do my full sentence because I was just wild, whacking screws up and all sorts. But... Well, this what well, this while you were a professional yeah, boxer, you got yeah. you? I had my licence then and then when... The, when the British Boxing Board of Control found out I had me, I was a um, license holder of the British Boxing Board, they grasped me up. Yeah. So then they revoked my license then. So then I thought, I was 35 years old, I come out, I thought, fucking, might as well retire now, there's no, too old. So I started smoking weed, end up in a rehab, and you know, I made it out still to tell the story. Yeah, I think this. This follows nicely now into sort of next stage of your life after boxing. So, what did you do? You say you were what were you about 30, 
32, 33 when you got jail. Yeah, 33 I was. Come out when I was 34. What, what, which jail did you go? Harmley. Right. Was that your first time in First time, yeah. Prison? First okay. time, and I was like a madman. I remember beating the screw up, smashing my pad up, and women, the woman from the jail, the main, the main screw on my wing, ring my mum, rung my mum up and said, we can't, what going to do with him? We can't control him. And my mum said, it's first time he's been in jail. He's, he's, he's in there, he don't know what's happening. Give him the gym and he'll, he'll look after, you'll be all right. So that's what they did. They give me gym every day. Every day they give me it. That and my mum. So when when you got sentenced, we'd not been there before. Yeah. Did you go in there with mentality? Everyone knows who I am. Everyone's going to want to have a fucking go, so I'm, I'm just going to put, put it on. Him. Yeah, I just said I'm going to put a show on. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be like a maniac. So I was like a maniac, smashing my pad up, smashing over another screw up. And to be honest with you, it works because after that, they give me gym every day, um, let me do what I want, let me ring my mum at all hours at night. And then the second time I went in there, I didn't have to do none of that fighting because I had a reputation from the first time I was in there. Mm-hmm. They said they give me a gym, a job at gym and everything second time I went in there. What um, were your charges? Um, assault a police officer times six. Fuck me. <laughs> well, yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I got six months and I had to do six months. Fucking hell. Yeah. Yeah, that changes a man, doesn't it? I yeah, suppose. it does, yeah. So, we're, apart from kicking shit out of everyone, once you got settled, were, were it all right for your jail? Do, do you know what I say? Jail's no good for nobody, but as a young lad, if you're from Bradford, coming up from Bradford, acting like an idiot like most young Bradford lads do, jail will sort you out. Jail's a good experience for any young lad growing up because you can't do what you want and you get put under manners. There's... There's two sides at tail with it, as you know yourself. You you either get one or two narratives. It's fucking awful. You never want to go there. Yeah. Amley's like a, in a Victorian fucking dungeon. Or you yeah. speak to someone else and they go, ah, it's fucking mint. Dead lads what say mint, half of them are telling lies. It's yeah. like when you get a tattoo and they say it doesn't hurt, but it fucking kills. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's a good way it's, of putting it. They just don't want to say it's... They don't want to act like a pussy and say, oh, it hurts, or jail's hard. Jail's, man, you're locked up in a, you're locked up in a cell what's no, no bigger than six by six foot. You get told when you can eat piss and shit. You're under manners. You can't do what you want. You're in st- it stinks. It's rough. Jail's no good for nobody, man. It's just people say that because they don't want to look like a pussy but it's no good for nobody except my head daft if it didn't why do you think I would beat a woman screw up because I was panicking and my head was fucked and they didn't want to be in there yeah. but I had no choice you know I, I did have a choice but that's why I beat the screw up because my head was fucked and I just didn't know what what was going on the second time I went in there I apologised to him and he looked after me gave me gym every day um, it was alright it was easy the second time it went easier it was just hard to deal with mentally because I knew what am I doing in here, man. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad we've got chance to touch on it. I mean, I ain't. If I ain't had anyone, I ain't had anyone that I've been able to openly speak about jail with. But I think it is important because, like you say, some people walk around now wearing it as a fucking badge of honour. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And 
when you've got youth looking up to them people. I think it's important that they know that if a professional boxer who got to a good level says it's shit and you don't want to be it there. Is, imagine dragging you. Imagine if you're in a jail where it's two, three hours away from your house, travel. I would only in Leeds, but imagine I, I, my mum had to miss work, drag my mum up to visit me. Imagine if I were in the other side of England, like Wales. I've got like I've got a friend who's in old jail now, and his missus can't even afford to um, can't even afford it. She, she, I'm giving her lender money every week to feed him and or or to get him this, get him, get his kids something because it's it's hard work, man. And she got to travel over side of England all the way to home yeah. on a bus or a train, cost money. Where my mum. My mum, we struggled growing up, but my mum made sure that she seen me and she wanted to make sure I was all right. And she got up there and she got at me when that screw rung home. When I flipped in jail, the screw lady rang home and said, what we're going to do with him? My mum said, just give him the gym and he'll be all right. And that's what they did. Did you, when you turned up to jail first time, were any were there any at screws diehard boxing fans that straight away went fucking hell, Femi playing tall? Yeah, you know, one or two of them. Here. One or two of them, yeah, yeah. But I just played like I didn't know him because <laughs> I was embarrassed. Yeah, I was embarrassed to death. It wasn't a badge of honour for me when I was in jail because yeah. I was I was embarrassed. I was padded up with Wayne Coleman who looked after me after I beat that screw up, and he showed me how to go on. He's still in there now. God bless him. Yeah. So when you came out. Were boxing still there and available to you, or because you had the license suspension, were that sort of it? I'd have had to go through a battle of fighting to get my license back, and I was 35. I looked at it like this: I'm 35 years old. I'm just going to take me 12 months to get my license back, a loads of money to get my license back. I might as well just retire. So I retired and started smoking weed. This is before I started training kids in my old amateur gym which has been like a second lease of life for me. So how did life go? It can't have been nice thinking, basically. Fuck's sakes, before prison, I were a boxer, da da da, da. I've come out, I can't box. I don't really know what I'm fucking life gonna fu- do. Life were hard, man, made with fuck. That's why my, I always thought I can get away with smoking weed because Ricky Atten used to sniff coke and stuff like that, I used to think, oh, it's only weed, it's only a spliff, but I were having sneaky spliffs right up, right until I box, when I boxed in Las Vegas, I were having sneaky spliffs. Uh-huh. Um, but, but, um, it's, this is what I wanted to get out there, weed is the most underrated drug out there, man, it's ruining kids, and kids, they think, oh, it's only a spliff, and um, it should be legal, and that it shouldn't be legal, if you ever see me with psychosis, you'd say, no, it shouldn't be legal. I was like a maniac. Went to Linfield Mount two or three times. I had Linfield Mount on lockdown. They kicked me out and end up. I was making out women training there, out nurses and that. Um, beat a few plads up in there. And so they kicked me out and end up because I, I was just wild. Psychosis up to death. So, was it a gradual thing, psychosis then, or...? Yeah, had you been smoking it years and one day you woke the, up, had a joint and this, literally went? Well, the doctors can't decide whether it's from boxing or from weed. They yeah. can't, they can't, they don't know. They said they don't know if it's one or the other or maybe both. But the but I'm on a depot now every month. I get an injection, which I'll be coming off it soon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they can't work it out whether it's drug-induced or 
because of boxing, my brain injury. Yep, we were speaking about it earlier before this, and like you say, out of, out of any drugs that are available, well, we know that a lot of people are tending to think it should be legalised, but when you've been through what you've been through, I mean, I know none of us are ever going to encourage young people to, you know, start smoking it or whatever, but, you know, how... What do you think they, sh they should do now? Because there's so many narratives around it, and as we spoke about earlier, some people seem to perform better on it, and then people like yourself... I think I think Mike Tyson's got a point when he thinks he should legalise it because he's making loads of money off it. But I think they should, like what they do in Barcelona, they have cafes and places where people can go and smoke it in a safe environment. But if you're going to smoke that in a safe environment, you need to be told what it can... What are you, if you're gonna, There's no safe environment and it comes with a lot of shit, but... You've, the people have need to explain what this drug can do to you, man. It mm. can ruin you. It so ruined me. It, it, I, I was seeing things and everything. Yeah, so for listeners that don't know what Limfield Mount is, I mean, I don't know what the official term is, but in a nutshell, it's a psychiatric mm, hospital, yeah. in it? Yeah, it is, yeah. So how long were you in there for? I went three times. First time I was there for four weeks. Second time... Um, they kicked me out because I was just a, like, I beat two lads up in there. And then the third time, it was voluntary. This, I knew I was fucked then by this time, but it was either keep, end up go to jail or keep, uh, go, go against my mum. My mum said, look, I want you to go in hospital this time, but we're going to go in it voluntary. Do everything they say. Don't be a maniac. Take your medication, because I want taking my medication or out last time I know in there. And um, do everything they say, so I did, and I, I end up full, doing the full course and coming out healthy. I think anyone thinks of rehab, the instantly you think of heroin addicts, don't yeah, you? you? Do, yeah. I, I didn't actually, I never, sorry, I can't say I never knew, but I never actually thought that people would go to... Uh, yeah, rehabilitation well, for well, cannabis. Yeah, well, when I went to rehab, and people were like, where are you going? You What do you mean you're in a rehab? You're not in a rehab. You can't have a rehab for smoking weed, but more, many people like this, you can have a, go to a rehab for anything. The group rehab where I went to, what were called growing rooms, it's in Leeds. Um, and I've looked after me, really. They've given me a flat after I've finished the course, 12-month course, abstinence course where you don't smoke weed or nothing. They'll give me a nice little flat in a uh, supported housing, but it's really nice flat, it's in Leeds. Mm. And um, they give me that move on flat after I finished my rehab, which not many people get that. But because I did the program so well, they, give, they got me this pad. It's what they do, just as you're going through program, you, you just get therapy, weekly tests and we Weekly therapy. tests, and you, have, you go to work twice a week voluntary, which, were good for me because I'd never worked. I'd always just boxed, and I, so I got to work voluntary twice a week, and then therapy three days a week. So now all I do is I change my therapy because when growing rooms ended, um, growing rooms ended, so I would stopped having therapy three days a week. I, I replaced that with coming to amateur boxing gym three days a week, and I still got to work voluntary twice a week. I work with homeless, 
which is giving something back and it reminds me of where I were at. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I, uh, I love it, but not many people know about growing rooms rehab. It's in Leeds, I tell people about it now. Um, but it's to get off any drug, any drug you can you get addicted to. I can get addicted, I'm an addict, so I can get addicted to crossing over the street the right time. <laughs> You know, I get at the same time every day, and I and I would as well. Yeah, you've got an addictive yeah, personality. I've got an addictive personality. Yeah. Which in some, which in some uh, aspects of life can be a really good thing. Yeah, I mean, like be, yeah. you've got your routine still now. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. you're running and you're boxing, and so I yeah. suppose from that side of things, having structure to your life almost. I suppose it's good in that sense, but like you say, when wrong things appear. It's it's detrimental to yeah, your progress. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky it? one. I remember um, the first thing I used to remember getting get wanting to get away with smoking weed was our in Vegas. Ricky Atten and everybody were going out to um, going out with out superstars, Oprah Winfrey, John Travolta, all David Beckham, Wayne Rooney, and I remember thinking, do you know what? I'm fucked, but I want to get home to see my my kid, and I want to get home to smoke weed. Um, and I remember getting a, my manager to get me a flight home, paying arm and leg for it, so I could get home and smoke weed open, use up world, and they were all in there and nightclubs with all the superstars, and I was sat in my back street smoking weed, but this where my addict, my addict had took me, yeah, my addiction had took me. Do you know what I mean? It's it's wild that you had it all the way through your career as well. I mean, I dare say now. You'd You'd be flagged in an heartbeat, yeah. wouldn't you? But yeah, would, what were yeah. testing regimes back then? I only got tested once and that for a box for English title. So them days they used to just test you every now and again. Nowadays they test you. You've got, I think you get tested every week nowadays. Yeah. So what's planned for you moving forward? I mean... Like you say, I, I dare say if we delved into every part of your life, we'd be here for fucking days, yeah, wouldn't we? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But you, you're obviously, like you say, you've done a 12-month programme, you've turned your life around. You've basically gone from the highs to the lows and you, you're on a good trajectory yeah, back up now. My, pl my plan now is to obviously bring my kids up like I am doing well. They've got good mums as well, I have to say that. Fair play to the mums. Took a lot of weight off me while I went into rehab. Um but the plan is now to my goal is to teach a world to train a, a young lad into winning titles amateur and pro i've already started that off by training amateurs at carmen center up at, at my old amateur gym so now i just need to bring a lad up blood through and turn him pro and let him win let him win stuff that i couldn't win yeah it's not unheard of either i mean you look at dave allen yeah. he's done it Peter yeah. Fury, he's always yeah. handpicked and focuses his attention just solely on one or two people. Yeah. Well, I dare say it's probably the best way to do it when you can really give your time to yeah, people. Yeah, and, and like you know, because I've trained you, but I've always trained boxers. I've always loved training boxers. Jake Pollardo's had loads of pro fights. Now he probably turned pro because of our meaning put it working with him and that mm -hmm. probably inspired him to turn pro but um i've always i've always um, been a good trainer so uh, but 
with smoking weed and getting locked up and look coming off track a little bit Dave at Carmen's really helped me come on track I mean he picks me up he lives the other side of Leeds and his gym's in Bradford and he picks me up every day for the gym takes me home brings me back and just like a solid older brother if you like we, we spoke about it again earlier I know I keep saying this but we have had a lengthy conversation before this but isn't it mad how when you were at the highest of highs, all the people that were around you, and then when you need other people, and I'm not just talking yeah. about yourself here, I'm talking in general, yeah. when you need people, I think you really do find out who you're true. Yeah, you, you do. You're real, real people are, don't you? People say in boxing there's an old saying, you never know who's your fans until you get in changing rooms and see who's there. Yeah. And when you lose, there's nobody in your changing rooms. Ask Jake. I bet Jake doesn't have many people going to his fights. No. Or many people in his dressing room. Mm-hmm. But by himself. But if you're winning all these titles, he's, he's fawned non-stop. He'd have millions of people on his case constantly. I mean, I remember my phone he used to be going 24-7. And the, the day I lost, empty no phone calls no no it's strange it's a weird fucking world we're living in it you know is, what yeah. i mean like how dog old are you now world. 41 now 41 so no ch- no chance of a return no no definitely <laughs> not too painful man people too. don't understand i mean me and jake spoke about it or we have spoke about it a number of times you know obviously they mitigate everything they can to do with brain injury and you know like Jake, now he has to have his yearly medicals yeah. and the stuff he has to keep on top Cost of it. It costs 500 quid just to get your medicals for a year, but people don't understand how they, how it's strict. Like you got an HIV test, you do everything, hepatitis, vaccination. But people, I keep saying this, people think, oh, um, boxing's easy. Go speak to Jake Pollard, ask Jake Pollard how easy boxing is. He's, li- he's got to live a totally different life. He can't go out every week because yeah. he's fighting most weeks. He's got to keep his weight down, stay in the gym, wait for the phone and go out every two minutes. It's an hard game, man. Yeah, I think he said it on, on podcasts that we did with him, to be fair. Won at fights. He was shooing an arse that morning. Then had to travel to like, I don't know, London or Derby yeah. or somewhere, throw yeah. a set of shots on, jump in ring, box, and then be home, sorted and back up next all morning to do yeah, it again. All for 800 quid. Yeah. Do you know what I mean as well? It's wild. So, you as a person now, like, not, not boxing and not goals anywhere centred around boxing, What what's your personal goals like? You got what you want to achieve in life. I mean, they always say it's never too late. I just want to stay off the weed and produce a world champion. Give something back what I didn't, what I couldn't get, which I'm learning. I'm on the, I'm on, I'm like Dave's apprentice now. Dave Carris is called it up at Carmond. I'm like his apprentice now, and I um, train kids when he's not there, corner him. Well, I'm just going for me amateur license to get me um, corner. You know, my corners and stuff. Yeah, you've got and a lot of a ticket, haven't you, to yeah, be in the corner? Yeah, you have, yeah. And then I'm going to turn pro, then hopefully we won at kids. If not, I'll turn pro with someone who's already, already established and help them out, maybe help Jake out or whoever. Mm. Like you said, when you've been in the game so long, you've got so much to offer, whether yeah. it be knowledge verbally or pad, holding pads for people yeah. or pointing things out. Yeah. I don't... It's... A very strange sport in where that 
people want to stay in it all their life, but there's not always a place for certain people, is there? No, there ain't, no. We spoke right. about it earlier, didn't we, that, you know, there's some fighters out there that are still still going, still trying to yeah. make it, and it's, you feel for them. I mean, yeah. maybe not for casual fan, but for more diehard fan who understands really what it takes, weight cuts, training, you know, you, you sacrifices with your own life, yeah. women and kids and stuff yeah. like that. You've got to live it, your family's got to live it with you, because if you haven't got a supportive family, you're half not going to make it anyway. Your family, it's important, man, really important. I always had my mum's support, luckily, because if it weren't for my mum, yeah. I'd, I'd be, I don't know where I'd be, man. I don't know where I'd be. I think we'll leave it there for today, Femi. I think yeah. you're a good account of your full entire life. I, I dare say that there's going to be feedback from this and we're going to have to do a part two because people are going to have a million <laughs> and one questions about you. But um, for sitting down and talking, really appreciate it, mate. Respect any time, man. Wish right. you every, uh, every bit of luck going forward. Yeah, respect. Anyone you want to shout out before we go? I just want to thank In Touch Cafe for giving us this spot today and telling us we can have it in future whenever we want. Um, my mum, give my mum a big shout out. If it weren't for her, I'd be dead. And rest in peace, my dad. Even though he showed me some bad stuff growing up, he's helped me know what I don't want to do. Um, and that's it. That's really. Oh, thanks to Dave Carries up at Carmond. And that's it. Thanks. Wicked. And for anyone that needs to reach out after listening to this that might want advice or struggles that they're going through, anything like that, I dare say you've, your yeah, inbox the, is open for yeah, anyone that you needs can add help. me on Facebook, Femi Fintola, or Snapchat, Femi Fintola, Instagram as well, even Twitter. I'm on all the social media, so you easily contact me. Um, and in, yeah, I'll always help anybody who needs any bit of help or advice. Thanks a lot for it, family. Cheers, mate. Ciao.